We are in Colossians chapter 4, uh, dealing with walking the walk before others this morning. Paul starts off this section in Colossians 4 verse 2 that says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being thankful or watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So I've been saying in the last couple of weeks that there's a pattern here. Paul says that the prayer precedes um, the open door, but so we pray and we say, God, open a door for us. And then thirdly, as the door is open, we walk through. And so this little verse, verse 5, tells us how we should live in such a fashion that the door, as the door is open, how do we live out the reality of Christ? And Paul says, walk in the way of wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Another version says, live wisely among those who are not believers. When I was a, a young Christian, I was impacted incredibly by a man named Francis Schaeffer. And Francis Schaeffer, a Presbyterian who lived in Switzerland, had a wonderful ministry, had a little book called The Church Before the Watching World. The Church Before the Watching World. And his whole thesis, and he said this frequently in many of his writings, is that we live before the watching world. People are watching us. Christ says in Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the walk of wisdom. So this morning I'm going to talk about the walk of wisdom. Give you four points about the walk of wisdom. And next week more about speech filled with grace. So as we walk before the Lord and as we seize the opportunities, how do we walk in wisdom? What is wisdom composed of? Number one, to walk in wisdom means that we walk understanding that True wisdom is the overflow of the knowledge of Christ applied to our lives. True wisdom is the overflow of the knowledge of Christ applied to our lives. Colossians 1 says, I'm, Paul says, I'm going to tell you the mystery that has been hidden for ages, and the mystery that is revealed is this, Christ. Behold God in the flesh. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, he says, Verse 2 says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if I'm, if I'm to walk in wisdom, I've got to understand in an ongoing glorious fashion the wonder and grandeur and majesty of Christ. Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Psalm 36 says this. The psalmist says, Lord, I rejoice in your unfailing 
merciful love. And then he says this, verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. In your light do we see light. In the light of who you are and your character and your glory, do we understand light. C.S. Lewis wrote a little paper on theology as poetry. And in that little paper, he talks about how everything, all of life is held together by the knowledge of who Christ is. And he closes this paper with this statement. I think it's one of the greatest statements ever made. Really, and I mean that's not, this is it. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's incredible. I I believe in Christianity not only because I believe, like I believe the sun, not because it's risen, but because by it I see everything else. See, when you walk in the light of who Christ is, there is a pattern where he he holds all things together. And I think think about some of these statements from the the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 2 says says this, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, if you call out for wisdom and incline your ear to understanding, if you search for it like silver and seek for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he's a shield to those who walk in integrity. So, so, you know, I read down and go, Lord, give me the wisdom that's found in the knowledge of all that you are in the person of Christ. Or Proverbs chapter 4, he's pleading with his son to listen to my son. Verse 20, be attentive to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your side. Keep them within your heart. Listen, for they are life to those who find them and healing to their flesh. Therefore, keep your heart with all diligence because from your heart flow the springs of life. And I read that and I say, Lord, let me learn of you. Let me learn of Christ. Let, Let me hear the voice of the Savior that brings integration and wholeness to my life. And so I'm thinking this, I'm in, reading in Mark chapter 10, and in Mark chapter 10, they're just, I was just circling some thoughts. And in, in, in Mark chapter 10, Christ says, the first part of the chapter, he says, you know, regarding marriage, he said, whatever God joins together, man should never separate. I said, wow, I, I live in a culture of convenience regarding marriage. Let me learn of Christ. And then later in Mark chapter 10, he, he, he's it says that some little children tried to come to Jesus and the disciples. The disciples rebuked them. I mean, just get out of here. And it says this, and Jesus was indignant, <laughs> indignant or vexed in his spirit. And I thought, man, if, if, when you read in the scripture where Jesus is indignant, you better pay attention. And he said, let the little children come to me, he said, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And I just thought, 
Now, I live in a culture that, that says that, that a person's worth is based upon their socioeconomic standard or, or their race or their ability to bless a culture or, or this or that. But Jesus says, no, little children are incredibly important. And I said, let me learn of Christ. And then same chapter, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. You know the story. He says, Lord, I've done this and this and this and this and this. I want to be part of your team. And Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. And the Bible says this, the, the man went away crestfallen, bitterly disappointed because he had many possessions. And, and the disciples say, Lord, this is tough stuff. And he says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's not saying that riches are wrong, but what he's saying is, is that when you come to him, you've got to put everything at his feet as your savior, whether it's riches or your social standing or your sex drive or, 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 or your lack of forgiveness. That's got to be laid at the feet of Jesus. And I said, you know, I, I live in a culture that says a man's worth is determined by what he owns or what he drives or where he lives. And Jesus says, that's just not the case. I got to learn of Jesus. And then even later in the chapter, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus says, whoever would be great in the kingdom must be the servant of all. Wow. Now, I live in a culture that says that servanthood is done by people that have nothing else to do. Servanthood is done by people that you can pay minimum wage to. That you get beyond servanthood. And yet the Bible says time after time that servanthood is at the heart of who Christ has called us to be. So what I'm saying is that if, if I am to walk in wisdom, I've got to realize that true wisdom flows from the knowledge of Christ, and I've got to ruthlessly apply what I know of Christ to my life. So last week, I was out, and I uh, was in a little restaurant, had lunch. And as I was leaving, I saw these three young men sitting there go to our church. I've known them since they were babies. So I just sat down and talked to him. I said, hey, uh, what grade will you guys be in next year? And they said, Pastor Brown, we'll be seniors in high school. And I went, wow, how did that happen? Yesterday they were that tall. And just talked to them, the good-looking, fine guys, very mannerly and I left him and I found myself praying, oh, Lord, let these young men learn of you in a culture that packages what they perceive to be truth in 30-second sound bites. Let them learn of you. Let them be part of the, the, the kingdom of the living God that flows from the reality of all that you are for us in the face of Jesus. So if I'm to be wise, I've got to realize that wisdom flows from Christ. Number two, if I'm to be wise, I must understand the incredible difference between knowledge and wisdom. Vastly different. So my favorite preacher of the last century was a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in the early 60s, I think it was. He said this. I'm going to just read a paragraph and a half. He says, what is the difference between knowledge and wisdom? I feel, that, I feel that this is one of the most urgently needed distinctions at the present time. If I understand anything at all about the modern world and its educational systems, I would say that we have gone wrong because we have failed to draw the vital distinction between knowledge and wisdom. 
We today go in for knowledge. We are growing encyclopedias. It is the age of digest, collections of knowledge, and we are a most knowledgeable people. I suppose that modern men and women, 1961, know far more than any of their predecessors have ever known. Yes, but what is so obviously lacking in the modern mind, the modern world, and it says this, let me suggest a few things for you to reflect on. First, the source of knowledge is study. The source of wisdom is discernment. You get your knowledge by studying, but you get, do not get wisdom that way. People can study a great deal but not get wisdom because they lack discernment, because they lack the ability to see. And if we live in the time of uh, then encyclopedic knowledge where you just learn lists, what about today? I mean, the Internet makes us all look really smart. I mean, you can be at a dinner party and somebody's discussing something you know nothing about and just excuse yourself, go to the bathroom and go to the Internet and get him up with a cup of coffee, come back and you're brilliant. I recently read a very good book by a professor of history from Vanderbilt uh, entitled The Soul of America, John Meekham. And in it, he has about 80 pages that deals with the, the Reconstruction and what happened after the Reconstruction. He talks about Lincoln's assassination and Andrew Johnson and his near impeachment and then U.S. Grant's two terms and, and then Rutherford B. Hayes, mixed reviews. And he talks about a man named James A. Garfield who, who, who I, I want to know more about. Garfield was only president a few months and he was assassinated. But Garfield was born in extreme poverty in Ohio, uh, had a voracious desire to, to know that his mother he, he was a circuit-riding Methodist preacher for a while, very committed Christian. Went into the law, became a highly decorated general in the war between the states, U.S. representative, went to the 19, or 1880 uh, convention. It was locked over three candidates and so on. The 36th ballot, he was a compromised candidate, a wonderful man. But, but I, I, so, so I, I know a little bit about these guys, so, so I'm ready to play this game, Trivial Pursuit. This is incredibly popular a few years ago. Uh, I, I played it frequently with, not, with various levels of success. It's all these categories, you get a pie and you go to the middle, you win the game. And, and I, I like Jeopardy, especially when they do categories where I know uh, three or four categories I know something about. But, but at the end of the day, if I know trivial pursuit questions or if I can answer some things on Jeopardy, but I really haven't applied it to my life, what good does it do? Now, I'm all for knowledge and education. Please don't misunderstand me. But just memorizing laundry list of things, that's not wisdom. See, wisdom is the life, the ruthless and fierce application of God's truth to my life. I need wisdom. Wisdom is discernment, not knowing things. It is the discernment that comes from walking in a way where I've made application of God's truth to my life in the hard things. The Bible says, for example, in 2 Timothy or 2 Peter, the, the, the last verse of 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. See, grace, to me, discernment, wisdom, application, knowledge, know the character of God, know his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a verse well known, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for 
doctrine, knowledge, for rebuke, change, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, so three out of the four descriptive words talk about wisdom. You've got to have doctrine, absolutely. But the question is, am I applying Scripture to my life? You will hear this statement. I've heard it many times. He's knowledgeable, but he is a fool. I've heard that. But I've never heard someone say, he's wise, but he is a fool. You don't hear that. He's knowledgeable, but he's a fool. No, he's wise. James chapter 3, the wisdom from above. Verse 17 is, first of all, pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, and it's impartial and it's sincere. That's wisdom. Peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. Here's my question. Are, Are you walking in wisdom that flows from the knowledge of Christ? Do you understand the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Huge difference. You've got to have knowledge. Thirdly, we walk carefully in wisdom because we realize that that the days are evil. There's a companion text that has the same theme, uh, and that's in Ephesians chapter 5. So listen to this. This is Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So so Paul says here, live carefully, be careful how you walk, walk as wise, not as unwise, make the best use of your time, because the days are evil. What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. I need to realize that there are trap doors and hidden nooses and quicksand covered up with leaves as I walk through life. There is an adversary who wants to trip me and drink me down and consume me, and he prowls about like a roaring lion. And and I have to deal with with the devil. I have to deal with a world that's glorious but but fallen. I have to deal with remaining sin in my life. Therefore, I've got to be incredibly careful because the days are evil. The the days are evil. We live in a fallen world with pitfalls. Now, I don't know much about physics, so I would not do well in Jeopardy category was physics, but there's something called the law of inertia. And the law of inertia means that you just, you just continue on and you just level out and you continue on unless there's an outside force that causes you to change. You see, you can, the law of inertia, you continue on unless there's an outside force that causes you to change. Now, let me tell you something. There is no such thing as inertia in the Christian faith. If you are planning out and you're not growing and you're not seeking for wisdom, you know what? You're trending down. You're trend- you, you don't say, I'm, I'm going to stay at this point spiritually 
I'm just going to stay here as far as confessing my sin and walking in wisdom and making ruthless application. And I'm, you know, you're going to trend down. You do not. You do not tread water. You're not in a, 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 a river with no tide. You're in a river with, with massive tides. And so either we're going forward or we're not. See, either we have growth or we have decay and disintegration. Either we have wholeness and harmony and radiance or, or we have down. And so one point of wisdom is that we, you realize the day, listen, the days are evil. You're, you're surrounded by the evil stuff. You are. I did a funeral here this week, a wonderful man named Jay Cumbie, and I talked about how Jay received the word, and I just went to Luke chapter 8, and, um, and Luke chapter 8 is a parable of the sower. You, many of you know it well, but the story goes, Jesus says a man went out to sow seed, and he threw some seed, and the birds of the air just gobbled it up and flew off, and he said, that's Satan who takes the word. I mean, the, the, Satan is trying to take the word from our lives this morning, he is. So there's a second way, says that, that the seed fell on shallow soil and it quickly sprang up, but it had no root, and so it, it, it died out pretty quickly. And they said there's a third soil, and the word falls on it, and it grows up. And, and, and yet there are weeds that, that choke the word and make it unfruitful. And, and, and Christ says there are three types of weeds. And I Listen, I think he remains intentionally vague so that the application will be multiple. He says that the weeds that choke it up are our cares, riches, and pleasures. Cares, just the cares of life that consume your time and energy and just riches. There's nothing wrong with wealth. But the, the, the pursuit of more and more and more and getting ahead and getting ahead and doing and doing and doing can just sap your pleasures. I love pleasures. But there, there comes a point where, 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 where if pleasures aren't given to the, to the Lord, they just they choke the word. I mean, the word can be choked in our hearts. That's why I'm, I'm always arrested by a little verse in Mark chapter 9, the last, I think the last verse of that chapter where Jesus says this, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. In other words, don't lose your saltiness. Don't, 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 don't lose your effectiveness. Don't, don't, don't become someone who's Leaves off the watch. I mean, just leaves off the watch. Don't be somebody who, who forgets the days are evil and they just trend down and they're choked by cares or riches or, or pleasures or whatever. Don't lose, church, do not lose your saltiness. Walk in wisdom. See, we have, when we, you know, we teach classes here, I tell you, like, we need to read the Bible daily and, and so people sometimes call that their daily quiet time. Or some people call it their morning devotions. That's fine. But, but for me, it is survival. It, it's getting my heart focused. It's, 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 it's saying, Lord, apart from your grace, I cannot do this. It's saying, 
Lord, do not let my heart become choked by, 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 by unforgiveness or, or peevishness or record-keeping with my wife or carnality or, or just silliness because I can go that way. So, Lord, I, I need you this day by your Holy Spirit to change me. See, every Lord's Day is a time for us to be refreshed and encouraged and taught and express our gratitude to the Lord. But it's also a time to say, man, we need, we need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to get us from A to B. Survival. There's a woman named Annie Dillard, and she wrote this several years ago. She's a novelist. She says, Why do people in churches seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a package tour of the absolute? He says this, it is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense or the waking God may draw us to where we can never return. The last sentence I don't particularly like, but I like the fact she says, you know, really, this is, this is, a moment where we deal with God. You know, why, why do people come to church and eat cookies and drink coffee and light candles and go home? No, we're here to meet with God. We're here to say, God, teach us to walk in wisdom. I need you. Church, there is something incredibly freeing. Um, when, when the few, few times I've gone to AA meetings, with friends, um, and you go to this this meeting, and somebody stands up and says, "Hi, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic, and I've been sober for five hours, or five months, or five years, or whatever." And I say, "His name is John. Hi, John." And then he speaks, and. Uh, that's very freeing here. You know, if you look around you, you are surrounded by really bad sinners. You are. We should all come together and say, listen, my name is Buster. I'm saved by grace. I get what I don't deserve because Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I do not have it together. Hi, Buster. Welcome. That's who we are. The days are evil. Fourthly, the walk of wisdom means that we make the most of our days, the scripture says, or, or we live with sobriety we, and we order our life because of the brevity of life and the eternity that is to come. So we make the most of the opportunities. Uh, I went to the library. Sometimes I go to the new book section. I'll just pick up two or three books and put them in a bag and check them out and just leaf through them. And, and one of the books that just had a title that arrested my attention 
was written by a young woman who was born in Punjab, moved to Canada, has come to the U.S., and she's, I think, 35, and she's a, um, she's a, a comedian type. I didn't know that until I started reading the book. But the book is entitled, One Day We Will All Be Dead and It Will Not Make Any Difference. Or none of these things. One day we'll all be dead and none of these things will matter. That's it. And I only read 30 pages, but her whole thesis is that life is, life is a, uh, a comedy of errors and fits and starts. And, but it really makes no difference because one day we will be dead. And, and I mentioned that at the, uh, the funeral. And when you, when you say that at a funeral, you know how bizarre and absolutely insipidly stupid that is. Because you're looking at people who are grieving the death of a loved one. You're looking at people who says, this person is going to leave a legacy of one thing or the other. Let me say this. Your life counts. What you do counts. Your life is important. You're made in the image of God and you are, you are gifted even if you're not a believer, with gifts and resources to bless other people. And if you're a Christian, you've been given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has given you gifts to use to bless people. Your life counts. Conversely, I'm reading this speech recently by a guy named Theodore Roosevelt. He was the man. I mean, really, Theodore Roosevelt... President, San Juan Hill, cowboy rancher in the Dakotas, asthmatic child that became, took up boxing just so he could defend himself. I mean, it's just amazing. And, and, and Theodore Roosevelt in, in 19 and 10 gave a speech after his president, and it was entitled um, Citizenship in a Republic. Now, this is Theodore Roosevelt. By the way, two, two years later, Theodore Roosevelt's running for president on, on, with a party called the Bull Moose Party. The only time the party existed in the 1912 election. And he's giving a speech in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and somebody jumps up on the stage and sh shoots him. Shoots him. And it, it, the bullet, uh, he's got a 40-page or so manuscript folded, and then he's got behind that a glass case that's a, a, a a silver tin glass case. And so it deflects the bullet and it still wounds him and he's bleeding through his suit. And, and uh, he says, no, I'm going to give my speech. And the guy gave a speech bleeding on the stage in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I mean, he was, he was a man. You know? He had a huge man card. But he gave this speech. Let me just read part of it to you and you'll see it. You'll see it. Um, let me go overhead. This is Theodore Roosevelt, 19... 10, just talks about uh, who we are. Okay. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Bracket, Fox News, CNN, end of bracket. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds and who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at his best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. 
your life counts. I just thought, wow, what a statement. So let me, let me just tell you some of the statements that our adversary, the devil, says to you that, that goes against the life of wisdom. This is one thing you'll hear. You are merely a cog in a machine in a giant wheel going nowhere. Your life doesn't count. I've already said, your life counts. You're a person of dignity. You're eternally loved by the Father. Another thing the devil says is, it's too late. Listen, it's never too late. If you're breathing, it's never too late. If you're 90 years old and you've never come to faith in Christ, you've never believed in the Lord as your Savior, as one who died on the cross for your sin, today's the day of your salvation. If you're 90 years old and you have broken relationships with children that you haven't spoken to in three decades, it's not too late to pick up the phone and call them today. It's not too late to be reconciled with people. It's never too late to do the right thing. If you've lived chasing a dream and you've lived all of your life on only your own desires and concerns, it's never too late to say, I'm going to be a steward of the manifold goodness of God today. It's never too late. Don't buy that lie. Another thing the devil says is you can't be forgiven. Thanks be to God, that's not true. You can be forgiven. Jesus died for sinners Jesus died for people who are without hope. Jesus died for us. You can be forgiven. I don't care what you've done. You can be forgiven. Another thing the devil says is you are not responsible. Let me tell you something. You really are. You really are. We're all going to be answerable to God. There's a man named Jordan Peterson, and he's become a huge part of the culture of our country. He's a Canadian who wrote a book, 12 Rules for Life. It's a good book. He, I think Jordan Peterson, he's not a believer, but what he says has, has found an incredible resounding echo and embrace, especially among younger men. He's kind of the prophet to the millennial men. And basically, this is his message. You're responsible. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your, you are responsible. And young men are running to that. They said, we want to hear that. Let me tell you, you're responsible. You've been gifted. You're to live a life of stewardship before the Lord. And let me give you this one. This is my last one. I've heard this scores of times. And people say it, and every time I hear it, I I try to be kind. I say, self, be kind. Don't overreact. So here's the statement. Preach the gospel, and if you must, use words. What a crock. I mean, they say St. Francis said that. I don't think, I cannot, I can't find anywhere for St. Francis of Assisi who lived in the 1200s, and John Calvin loved St. Francis. He came 400 years. I, I can't find that anywhere. Let me tell you what the Bible says, okay? Regarding, this is regarding opportunities. The Bible says that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The, the Bible says, how can they call upon him in whom they have never heard? And how can they hear unless someone is sent to them? Therefore, behold, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the glad tidings of peace. In other words, you can have this effulgent spirit of soothing calm and a glowing countenance and float into a room and kind of sprinkle pixie dust on people and let them say, ooh, it is so cool to be around you. Man, you just blessed me. Thank you. Oh, so speak Christ. Speak Christ. 
Jesus says in John 20, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. God has sent you to your family, to your neighbors, to your co-workers. Speak his name. Opportunities. Look for opportunities. So, I uh, recently picked up and read this book, Plain Hurt. It's by a guy, a guy named John Saunders. And if you're a, a sports fan, John Saunders was um, on the ground floor of ESPN. He's a, I don't just see the book, it's 280 pages. I don't just see that. But, but John, John Saunders was on the ground floor of ESPN. I always loved to listen to him because he was so well-spoken. He was gracious. Uh, he, he was, had a good sense of humor. He just did a great job. He died about two years ago. He had at the age of 61. But this book, he was finished by a friend because he was writing and he died of a combination of, uh, he had some issues that dealt with uh, brain issues, uh, diabetes, but really, one thing that plagued his life, his whole life, was severe depression. He was raised in Canada in an incredibly dysfunctional home. His father was abusive. His mother was abusive. He had a brother, and John Saunders kind of shielded his brother and tried to shield his younger sister. She ended up dying of, uh, I think, a broken heart when she was in her late 30s, mother of three children. But he was sexually abused by a relative. He says, I just want to tell the truth about everything. And, and the subtitle of the book is My Journey from Despair to Hope. And this incredibly articulate, he was a wonderful hockey player. In fact, his brother played in the National Hockey League for several years. But um, he goes, time after time, he had to go into um, psychiatric hospitals, numerous occasions. He failed at ESPN and had a brain situation that required months of hospitalization and therapy. He several times describes how he stood on the edge of a bridge and almost took his life. Uh, he went through a, his first marriage where he said, I was uncaring toward my wife. And as he went through the depression and climbed the ladder, he met a wonderful woman and they had two daughters. But he talks about going from despair to hope and how he ended his, he was ending his life. And I'm sitting there and I'm reading it and I'm going, please, there's not one mention of faith. There's not one mention talks about good doctors and very bad doctors and good therapists and bad therapists and good psychiatrists and bad psychiatrists. But there's not one doctor or nurse or chaplain or friend or coworker that says something as, as simple as, John, I'm praying for you. John, may God bless you. I mean, something as simple as that. And, and so I, I read this book, and this guy who's gone through incredible depression, who is on the edge of suicide, who's in the hospital for weeks because of a severe brain injury, not once does he mention the character of God or the hope that Christ would bring, not once. And I'm, I'm sitting there, it's like I'm reading it in real time, and like I'm above time, and I'm thinking, somebody speak Christ to this man. Somebody say the word to John's son. Somebody, 
please. And I backed up and I thought, how about me? How about as I interact with neighbors or people I see at the dry cleaning business or at the gas station, or do they have friends and relatives that are saying, I, I want somebody to speak the reality of Christ to these people. Don't let opportunities run by. Walk in wisdom when it comes to understanding the brevity of life. So th this morning, I'll close with this. This morning we're at prayer. Some of us are praying together. And uh, th there's a man praying. And he, he, he says, uh, Lord, I, I just received an email from a couple that used to be in this church. Uh, they're on the West Coast now. They went overseas to an um, Islamic country and academics. And this man talked about this somebody that he knows in this country, a contemporary that has come to faith in Christ where it's illegal to preach the gospel. And this person, because he's come to faith in Christ and he's embraced Jesus, has been beaten by his family. He's a professional man. Beaten by his family and drugged by them because of his faith. They were praying, and then somebody else mentions, Lord, I bless a ministry here called Families uh, Count. Well, I mentioned last week where families come into our church in crisis, and, and we mentor them, and we feed them, and we teach them the Bible for six weeks as part of an agreement with the local court system. And, and how these people are, are, come from dysfunctional, hurting places and how they just need to be loved. And as these guys are praying, I'm, I'm confessing, I'm saying, Lord, forgive me for being small-minded and peevish. Forgive me for, for complaining about the traffic in Mount Pleasant at 4.30 on Friday afternoon. Forgive me for complaining that the air conditioning in one of my rooms isn't working very well. For, forgive me for being peevish in my attitude towards my wife this week. Because there, there are eternal things that need to be prayed for and embraced and loved. And I don't want to be a small-minded Lilliputian man who's consumed with cares, pleasures, worries, and whatever. I want to walk in wisdom. That's our calling. So church, Christ is the fountain of wisdom. There's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. The days are evil and we have opportunities. Opportunities.